We made this. The Ted Lasso welcome wagon has arrived. Ted! So, you're heavily favoured this weekend. You think this will end your embarrassing streak of draws? Lloyd, I've never been embarrassed about having streaks in my draws. You know, it's all part of growing up. I got a question for you. Has a team a like us ever won the whole chimichanga? No, for 40 years. Oh! No, you don't come through here, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. I got you. It's like it's Dukes of Hazards. Y'all yeah, <laughs> yeah, probably call it the no. Earls of Risk over here. We've got work to do. It's time for these young fellas to meet that guy. Oh no, let that's up. Hey, you little turd birds, start touching your toes. They touch each other's toes. What? what? How long was that? Not as long as last time, but nobody was hurt. Okay. People saying there's something wrong with us. Not the way I see it. I believe in communism. Rom communism, that is. If Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan can go through some heartfelt struggles and still end up happy, then so can we. Welcome to Scheduled Programming, the official TV podcast of the We Made This Podcast Network. I'm your host today, Ian Buckley, and Scheduled Programming is a show taking a closer glance at new television, examining all the good, the bad, and the ugly of the small screen. Today, we're going to be talking about Ted Lasso Season 2, and my guest to discuss it is my co-host over at We Are Starfleet, Mike Slammer. Good talking to you, Mike. Welcome. Hey, Ian. Thank you for having me as usual. It's always good to talk to you. It's especially good when we are talking about TV and movies. Yeah, it's a little weird not talking about Star Trek, but we've got something not at all sci-fi related, but nonetheless delightful to talk about. Yes. The good news is that Star Trek is coming very quickly for you and I. Yeah, we're going to be ramping up our season four discussion of uh, Discovery in November. I'm excited. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But today we're talking about... We're talking Ted. My man, Ted. Yeah, we're talking season two today specifically, but let's back up a little bit. What was your history with with this show? Uh, When did you see season one? Was it a recent watch? Did you Mm -hmm. watch it when Mm -hmm. it aired? Mm -hmm. So like many other folks out there, I picked up a trial subscription to Apple TV with the purchase of a new device, right? So, you know, I was like, all right, cool, Apple TV. Let's let's see what's out there. Let's see what's going on. And I, I remember, uh, you know, flipping through and being like, okay, Ted Lasso, and then sports. I'm not really like a sports guy. So for me, it was, eh, you know, I'll get around to it maybe. I keep hearing good things. But then a friend of mine just started raving about it and rave, and I was like, all right, I trust this guy. I love him. Let's Let's dive in. Ted Lasso season one, my wife and I watched it together and I got to tell you, it was, it's one of those, one of those moments in TV history where every episode keeps you wanting more, but still satisfying you and bringing you such 
relentless joy and optimism in spite of challenges. And because of that, season one, I was thrilled. I was like, man, you know, not only do I need as a person to be more like Ted, be more optimistic, you know, be more open and loving to the people around me, but it also set me up for season two, what to expect, what to love, you know, what to look for. And so we're here to discuss season two and we'll get into it when the show delivered or it did not deliver on certain things. You know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like having a really good meal at a restaurant and you go back to the restaurant maybe a week or two later and you want that same really good meal, but it's a different chef who makes it. And you're like, ah, still good. Still loved it, but it's just missing that one small thing. And I don't, I can't quite put my finger on it. And it's, very much how I feel about season two. It's a very small thing and I can't quite put my finger on it. I think I kind of sort of know. And maybe through this conversation, we'll break it down. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm very look, much looking forward to hearing your thoughts on that. I did come to season one kind of late like yourself. It was after I think season two had started airing. Uh, it was sort of a, the, the buzz had become undeniable. And I like Jason Sudeikis. I like laughter. Uh, and everyone that had seen the show kept telling me that it's just pure joy. It's just a delight. It, it's a it's a bit of an escape from the reality that we're all facing in uh, well, 2020 and now 2021. It, it, it really is. It's sweet without being saccharine is kind of how I would describe the Ted Lasso character and ethos, especially in season one. It's just a, a show that's so light on its feet that has so much heart and is so sincere and authentic in how it feels about certain things and how it thinks we should feel about certain things that I just couldn't help but fall in love with it right away. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I love your description. It's full of heart. It's sincere. It's authentic. And what I love about TV in general, whether it's Ted Lasso or Star Trek or Batman or anything, the shows always take place in their own universes. And the show just expects that you inherently understand and know. And Ted Lasso is no different. It takes place inside of its own universe. There's certain quirkiness to all the characters and the certain situations that come out, but it's so grounded and so realistic. And it, it, it doesn't bend any rules of, of our own day-to-day -day reality. Ted Lasso could be happening on this earth in this timeline right now, and I would firmly believe it. But at the sure. same time, at the same time, there's just this element of whimsy to it, this element of carefree love for each other, where in the real world, I have a hard time believing, like, I think about my colleagues, I think about my bosses, the teams that I work with, you know, and, and outside of the We Made This Network, there is no real cohesive team that just loves each other the way that the team in Ted Lasso does. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. The, uh, the human relationships are the heart of this show and all the different kind of pairings and, and, and interactions and combinations of, of, of personalities and how they interact that we see the richness of that kind of tapestry of human interaction is what keeps me coming back to the show. Yes. Yes. Really well said. So let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. Let's get into the second season. So 
spoilers for the rest of season two. This this show sort of is going to expect that you've already seen season two in its entirety. We're going to spoil things pretty much right off the bat. But let's let's give an overall. If you had to rate season two out of ten stars, what how many stars are you give in this thing? It's really difficult. I want to say like my gut, my heart. I want to say ten, but because of that one missing element, I gotta say nine. I gotta say nine. I think that's fair. I, I think I might split the difference. I'm, I I don't know if I liked it as much as season one, but there are, for me, no real clear indicators of me liking it less. <laughs> so I, I think, yeah, it's it's right up there for me too. Uh, you know, nine and a half out of mm. 10. You know, if, if there is such a thing as a perfect show, you know, maybe this is it. At least season sure. one was, but I love it. And, and that's the season on the whole, like taking everything into account. If this were Absolutely. We Are Starfleet, we would be talking about each individual episode episode leading up to the finale and i'm sure that had we done that you know you and i would be like oh well this episode this thing happened and because of that i rate it this but when i think about the season as a whole yeah near perfection all the peaks and valleys all ebbed and flowed in such a way that i walked away from season two hotly anticipating season three i mean give it to me now (laughs) Yeah, that's that's the other thing about this show. It does feel so addictive, kind of like candy. <laughs> it's it's this wonderful confection that as soon as you're done, yeah. you're like, no, no, please, I need more. Yeah, every episode as it came to its end, I, I just I felt that like I I didn't want it to end. And where they where they found those natural breaking points to say, okay, come back next Friday, brilliant, because each yeah. individual episode bookended itself and resolved its own internal storyline while also advancing the overall season arc. Yeah. In terms of its structure, it's it's really well done. And they they played around with it a little bit in this season. You know, they had a little bit of fun. They did we got a Christmas episode in yeah. uh, in summer. How how delightful was that? And uh, you know, this is a show that isn't afraid to kind of break out of the the formula that it's establishing even as it goes along. And I appreciate that about the show. It's, you know, for a show that is light and a comedy, it's not afraid to be inventive with the way that it, it tells its stories as well at times. And that's what I think we want as audience viewers. We don't want just to be spoon fed the same thing over and over and over again. We want some reinvention. We want some evolution. We want to see not just characters grow, but to see the show grow. Yeah. And it, this season... One of the reasons I read it so highly is because I feel that it does that in spades. Absolutely. It doesn't let the characters remain stagnant or complacent. It doesn't do the thing that sometimes sitcoms do where it sort of sets the table in early seasons and then the rest is just kind of on autopilot. Characters are responding in believable ways that are consistent with their character to emergence and new situations and other characters that they're interacting with. And I love that about this show. It's not just the, it's not just the emotion of the characters that that's authentic. It's the motivations of the characters that feels authentic and their interactions with one another. You know, it, it feels so human and that's exciting to watch uh, because even when the show is subverting your expectations, it's doing so in a way that you buy 
And mm-hmm. that generally speaking makes you feel pretty good at the end of the day. Like, um, you know, not to bring it back to Star Trek, but it's one of the things that I like about Lower Decks is there are situations and, and comedy can, can do this more easily than drama, but you have expectations of some negative consequence for a thing. And instead the show subverts your expectation and you end up feeling good about that. Like I'm thinking specifically of when Rebecca comes and and confesses to Ted at the end of season one, like he just forgives her because of course he does. That's what we expect of that character in that moment. And it's so heartwarming Mm -hmm. and believable, but it, it, it subverts that sort of, like, oh, I could see another show taking that conflict and setting them as rivals in season two because of what right. she did in season one. And instead, right. it just brings them closer together. Right. And to your point, a show focusing on drama would amplify that quote unquote betrayal moment that Rebecca did of Ted. And when she confessed, I, like many other people, had no idea where this was going to go. How was Ted going to deal with this? How was he going to rally? But through season two, we understand that Ted is not infallible and he is full of his own anxiety and flaws. But one of those points that he counters with is his relentless optimism and trying to see the best in every situation. So when he forgives Rebecca, you know, for for most viewers, especially in a modern TV viewing age, you know, it's it's a moment where you say this is not that kind of show. This is not the kind of show that manufactures a situation for the sake of the next episode, for the sake of the ratings. And I think one thing that we really get in the streaming era is writers and producers can craft the story and tell it the way they want to tell it, as opposed to, we got to stay on the air, we have to make money, or else we're all out of a job. Absolutely. So let's talk some of the details of season two. What were some of your favorite storylines this season? We got a few We got a few new characters and a few new uh, storylines, as well as continuation of yeah. some of the stuff that was established in, in season one. What, at, uh, what were some of your favorites this season? You know, we can't talk Ted Lasso without talking about why we're there. And that is to have a good time playing some footy. And <laughs> one of my favorite storylines was following Richmond as they got out of relegation and got promoted back to the league. So, you know, uh, I'm learning about soccer, first of all. Um, yeah. You know, here in, in the U.S. of A., uh, soccer is football to the rest of the world or vice versa or what have you. And there, it's not like it's a it's a super popular game, but it definitely makes money. And there's definitely viewers. And certainly during the World Cup, the whole United States is like, oh, yeah, we're in this. We're in this. You know, we're right. there. Well, we I'm care like, now. Let's get excited. We care now. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's this underlying point with all the players. You've got Danny Rojas, who gets wonderful characterization. Football is life. Football is life. I love his relentless passion for the sport. And I wish I brought that same passion to my own profession. Sure. <laughs> I'm sure we, we we all kind of feel that way. But of course, when you are as blessed and talented as Danny Rojas is, you get to live out your dream, which is playing one of the greatest games in the world for one of the best teams in the world. And I loved when his story involving the dog, first mm-hmm. of all, heartbreaking. I'm a yeah. dog owner. So of course I felt that. And his resolution through that coming back from that moment of, you know, he went to the cliff 
right? He went to a very dark place and he wanted to turn his back on the game. He was so depressed and his team rallied around him, supported him. And then when he gets to take that final shot for Richmond and the camera zooms in on his sneakers, it's just, oh man, yeah. man, I got to tell you, it, like I felt that I felt the whole team, when Jamie Tart of all players, of all characters, when he comes over and he gives up that tie breaking for lack of a better term, win for Richmond to get promoted. He gave up his glory for his teammate and friend, Danny Rojas, who then got a chance to come back and prove himself. And that was so awesome. One of my favorite storylines in a TV show. And maybe if you spliced all that footage together, it wouldn't even have taken one episode. But the fact that it took place, it was an underpinning current throughout the season was a brilliant choice on on the storytellers. Definitely. You, yeah, you look at the first and last episodes of season two and Danny and Jamie in, in different ways are, are lost at the end of episode one. Danny, because of what happens with the dog in this game that he that he loves, that is his everything. And, you know, football has become death. And uh, Jamie is just wallowing in whatever the hell he's doing on that TV show. Just awful stuff. Not focused on being a good team player, not even focused on being a, a player, just navel gazing nonsense that he's doing. And at the end, you know, he, of course, is the one who makes that decision. He sacrifices his opportunity for personal glory for Danny and for his teammate. And Danny gets that moment of redemption to to make that kick and not kill a dog in the process. I think we all go through life trying to make the kick and not kill a dog in the process. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Beautiful stuff. And it, you know, character growth. We mentioned it earlier. You want to see characters evolve. You don't want them to stay in the same place. You don't want them to just be... Uh, pigeonholed into a very specific type of character. And so Jamie Tart, played by Phil Dunster, he, in episode one, you know, he, he's lost. He, he, he's without a team. You know, he, he, he's missing his family. He's missing his friends. And we get to learn throughout the season why this is. His dad's a drunk. His dad doesn't care about him. So for Jamie, it's always been, I'm trying to impress my dad. I'm trying to impress my dad. When he realizes that that didn't matter all along and his real family was the team and he comes back in hat in hand, hard on a sleeve and he earns it. He comes back and he earns his place. It's not a, hey, take me back because I'm, I'm one of the best players in the league right now. It's please, I would like to come back. And that is, you can see the growth in Jamie from the influence of Ted, from the influence of Coach Beard, and how that really evolves throughout the season. So the team, I got to tell you, it's it's one of my favorite parts of, of the show. Absolutely. And a, a key figure in getting Danny's head right is one of our new characters in season two, Dr. Sharon Fieldstone. Dr. Sharon Fieldstone. What did you think I, of this character? I Okay, so the show definitely got me to love her. Right. But at the outset, that standoffishness, oh, it really put me off. 
it really like it got me on the back foot while I was watching it because I wasn't sure what to what to make of this character. I mean, we're in a show where where everyone is full of love and heart and energy and optimism. And then you introduce a character like Sharon who walls up a little guarded. She's a therapist. Why do they need a therapist? I thought I thought everything was going great. And that is a brilliant mirror to our own society, our own way of thinking, our own people. You can be happy, you can be optimistic, you can be all these great things, but there could potentially be an underlying issue that you're ignoring, that your your happiness and your optimism, you're using it as a crutch to cover something up. And that's what Ted does. So Sharon coming in and kind of breaking that glass a little bit on the mirror, and saying, it's okay to talk about this stuff. It's okay to be here. I'm here. Come talk. And eventually, you learn why Ted you know, has these panic attacks. You learn why Sharon was so guarded and her walls were so up. Mm-hmm. And together, you know, it's, it's one of those moments where if you watch TV and you reflect on what it is that you're watching, you think about the lessons the show is trying to teach you. It's that, yes, you can be guarded and that's okay. And there will be those opportunities and moments to let that guard down and let someone else in. And it's okay that it doesn't happen right away. It's okay if it's a fight. And man, I, I love that. And their, their scene when he, you know, she leaves for another assignment essentially without Without saying formal goodbye, she leaves. Mm-hmm. She writes a letter to everyone, but mm-hmm. she doesn't, you know, say an in-person goodbye. And Ted, Ted goes and confronts her, and he says, "That's not great for me. I don't, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like I, I need that to not happen." But she has her reasons because goodbyes mm-hmm. are hard for her, and she has her own reasons for why that's true. And getting to learn that about her at the same time as Ted is learning that, I thought that was just wonderful. And. <laughs> reads the letter right in front of her yeah just must be the most uncomfortable thing for her <laughs> like you know yes. the whole point of me writing this was so that i didn't have to see you react in front of me <laughs> yes i i both love and hate that we don't know what the letter said yeah i think you get the gist i don't really think you need to know but That's true. Uh, yeah you definitely you definitely get it from from the performance uh again jason sudeikis is acting and this is is also mm-hmm. exceptional yes yeah forcing ted to confront a lot of his feelings right and and his parents uh suicide you know and how that changed this whole outlook on well, i think life. it's just, i think it's just his father who killed himself i don't think yes yes them. sorry yeah, certainly would be a little bit of a darker character, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and and it it made Ted question his own his own way and how he's doing these things. And I, I really felt like that resolves itself brilliantly, you know, wherein instead of because Ted always seems to have an answer. Right. And and a character even calls him out on it. He's like, you always have an answer. You always have a, re- a reply in season one. And it, it, yeah, that is frustrating. I mean, you know, I think to myself, I'm not really like a super positive guy. You know, I'm kind of realistic and I tend to take things to heart. Maybe, you know, sometimes I take things personally a little bit too much. Um, so, so it's hard for me to like be around super happy, positive people because I can't really necessarily relate to that. So when Ted comes in and he's always got like, oh man, just, you know, it's going to be okay. We just got to believe, you know, you're like, what? No, come on. And how 
Ted resolves this, you know, he, he, he's hanging with Rebecca in, in the premiere episode and, and he just talks and talks and talks and talks and he doesn't have really anything to say. And Rebecca is sitting there and she's listening and she's like, shut up, just, like, just listen, just listen. All you got to do is listen, you know, and he takes that. And in the final episode in the meeting with the diamond dogs, diamond dogs mount up, woof, woof. Roy comes in, he tells him, tells all the guys like what's going on, his insecurities, he doesn't know what to do about his relationship, he's worried about Keely, all these efforts. And Ted's just sitting there smiling, like, yeah, that sucks. That sucks. It's like, there you go. Yeah, just listen. Sometimes we just need someone to listen to. Yeah. And and Roy likes that about the the Diamond Dogs thing at the end. He's like, wait, sometimes you guys don't actually solve a problem. Sometimes mm-hmm. you just talk about the problem. And he thinks that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. And I love Roy's story. I, you know, it's... Roy's so good. Roy Roy is amazing. He goes through this, from the outset of the season to the back end of the season, he goes through this period of transformation wherein he, he doesn't know what he wants to do post playing soccer. He doesn't know what his next move is. So he goes and he tries doing some commentary live on air. He, he brings his own brand of shit, you know, damn, you know, fuck, whatever it is. And he's not cut out for it. So he leaves and his next move is to become a coach for team Richmond. And that is where he finds himself. And Keely, his girlfriend, she's brilliant. Love her played by Juno temple, who is a phenomenal actress, just outstanding. Just all in all, by the time he comes to the end where Keely is now taking on a new career point, he's in a position of supporting her. And that's not that's new for him. He doesn't know how to handle that. He's unsure. He's caught on the back foot a little bit. And the season kind of leaves us there. It does. I, I'm hoping that his insecurities don't get the better of him next season. Uh, do you think that where we end at the end of this season with this relationship, that their relationship is actually in trouble or is it just sort of an opportunity for future growth? Do you think? Great question. I suspect that it's an opportunity for growth. I think that if this were a, if this were airing on ABC and it was a drama then absolutely Roy and Keeley are in trouble. However, it's not. This is Ted Lasso, and I firmly believe that Roy is going to have his moments of doubt going into season three. I believe that's been set up, and I think that this will be an opportunity for Roy to find out who he is because he's always been with Keeley. He's always been with Richmond. He's always been, you know, the captain. And then when he lost that, he went through like this weird, what do I do next? And that's okay. We do these things. Relationships change. Dynamics change. And all that is growth. It's a part of life. It's a part of being in a relationship where one day you have to be the supportive partner. And you have to take the back seat to your partner and let them drive the next phase of their life. And that is what Roy has to do now. He's, he's situated. He's good. You know, he, he's, he's a coach and he's got his team. He's got his friends, his family, you know, and now Keely is taking that next step where she's going on to the biggest thing she's going to do in her life and in her career. Absolutely. And that last scene between the two of them, it felt like the problem was 
kind of just one sided. Like it felt like mm-hmm. Roy was the one who's saying like, wait, you don't want to come on this trip with me for six weeks. That means we're breaking up. And to be she's fair. Like, she's like, no, that's ridiculous. Why would you yeah. think that? To be fair, Roy, come on, six weeks. You're going to surprise her with that. Right. Like that's that, that what struck me is that like, Roy, how do you not see that this is not the most reasonable expectation you could have? Like yeah. it, it, it struck me as for him to then turn her saying like, yeah, that sounds amazing, but I just can't fit that into my life right now. Mm-hmm. He turns that into some sort of referendum on him and their relationship. And that wasn't how I took her response at all. So I, for me, I think I, I tend to agree with you. I think this is an opportunity for him to grow through whatever this insecurity is mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And, and hopefully come out the better for it on the other side. Like I hope it doesn't result, you know, the end result isn't them breaking up because I really like the two of them together. I think they're a blast. And I think that generally speaking, they, they support each other in, in, in all the right ways that you'd want to see. Exactly. Speaking of relationships, there's another big relationship in this season that I, you know, I, I was kind of like internally rooting for, and that's Rebecca and Sam. Of course. So delightful. Yeah. Tell me, like, like in the run up to that, when they were texting before in the app, before they knew who they were, who did you think it was? Because we didn't know that it was Sam for quite I a long time. Clearly supposed to think that it's Ted. Right. Like the indication is very, very clear. Like it's, it's not an accident that he's looking down at his phone, smiling at something at the same time as she is having some amusing, meaningful connection mm-hmm. with this person that she's chatting with. It's clear, by the way, that was staged that that's supposed to be a misdirect that we think for a little while that maybe it's Ted and, and we can sort of see that. And so we sort that sort of contextualizes the next couple of maybe even episodes before we get the real reveal yeah. where we're kind of thinking that, or at least I was watching it, thinking that maybe this is Ted that she's having this back and forth with Yeah, and thinking about how that was going to work out. And then, then you get the big reveal that it's actually Sam and they're delightful together. Yeah. And Rebecca is coming off of this, this other relationship with a boyfriend and she's just kind of like fine with him. Like he's not like exciting her. And Roy is the one who, who tells her like, don't settle for fine. I, I don't remember what he says, but he's like, you're fucking gorgeous. You know, you're a boss. Like don't settle for fine. Yeah. What are you, you know? doing? Yeah, exactly. You know, look for someone who excites you. And when her and Sam get together, like I know, you know, I was applauding the heck out of it because, you know, you you want good people to be happy and you want good people to help each other and find each other along the way. And, you know, it's it's really great. And it shows that Rebecca has so much confidence in herself to chase that spark, to chase that feeling wherever it goes. And I love that Sam is so open to it and so like, hey, you know, she's my boss. She's my employer, but also she's my friend and also she's amazing. And also, you know, why, why not? This is, this is great. You know, when, when they meet up in the restaurant and the realization clicks in, you know, Sam takes the lead and he's like, you know, listen, we're just here as friends, as colleagues, like that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. So let's be here together as friends and colleagues. And then they start going from there. They do. Yeah, it's an interesting sort of examination of that 
kind of relationship and how it can be complicated with the power dynamic, not just the, the, the sort of superficial concern could be the age difference, but it's really the, I think the power dynamic that trips her up and the uncertainty mm-hmm. about what their relationship being public would do to yeah. the team, to, to, to her, to, to him, you know, whatever, like all of the potential consequences of that decision. I think that's what she's hung up on and, and, and understandably, and it's, it's sure. really such a shame because when they are together, it's clear that they have such a connection. Yeah. How do you feel about how they left things off? I, I think I feel good about it. I like that Sam stays. I like what he said about, I wish I could say that I was staying just for you, but I can't. But also he is staying partly for her. She's not not a reason uh, on, on his list of reasons to stay. So I think that all of that considered, I, I, I hope that the, this is just the sap in me. I hope the relationship moves forward. I hope they figure mm-hmm. out a way to make it work because I like both of them and I like them together. They're both pretty yeah. too. Yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> and <laughs> speaking about Sam, for a minute, the story in the season throws us for a little bit of a loop, and it offers Sam an opportunity to leave the team and go to Africa to help set up a brand new African team, yes. which is you know which is a great dream, and it's presented by an eccentric billionaire, who you know he comes from Africa. He, he says you know Sam Obasaya, I wanna I want to hire you. I want you to be one of my first players to help you know hire and train and run a brand new team and you know you can come home your family can attend every game and you know sam sam of course you know loves his father and and his father loves him and they want to have that that connection together and it was sam's leadership in um in boycotting the initial sponsor because of their oil platforms that really put him on the map right so it was a brilliant move on the on the producer's part to offer an opportunity for Sam, a beloved character, to leave the show. And it's one of those things where if he goes, you root for him because he's living his dream and he gets to be closer to his family. But if he stays, we still get to have this great character in our lives. And if he stays, he still gets to be a part of the show and a part of, of every story that comes about. And of course, he has his, his own struggle in trying to make this choice. And when he ultimately decides to stay, it's one of those things where it's like, man, listen, you can't make a wrong decision here, but you made the right decision. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And I love how over the top the guy's reaction to Sam not signing was just absolutely brilliant. He just turns on a dime and he's he's just – look – show me a billionaire that isn't actually a secret asshole. Um, sure. But it's just such a such a funny heel turn where he goes, I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to make sure you never play yeah. on the Nigerian national team. I'm mm-hmm. going to make it my life's mission to make sure that every endeavor you have is a failure. And Oof. yeah, brutal. Oof. But um, that's billionaires for you. I guess. I actually did not like that temper tantrum. I enjoyed the comedy of it, but I don't like how it went. And I don't like the pettiness of the guy who didn't shake the hand, you know, like, like he, he stuck his hand out to shake hands and then he pulled back and like 
wiped his hair back. I was like, come on, man. Like, that's real petty. <laughs> it and, is. It was so childish. Yeah. That, it amused me because it was so try. There's something about, and, and you're right, it only works for comedy, but there's something about adults just absolutely behaving like children that gets me. It was such a childish reaction. And I, I also took it as more of a commentary on on this type of person, the, the yeah. entitled billionaire class and how they're actually just a bunch of spoiled children. Yes, yes, yes. What I don't like about the temper tantrum is not just the, the pettiness of it and, and the silliness, but it, it comes from a person from Africa who has a dream of putting together you know, a national team. And it's, it's a very real dream. It's, it's a, it's an ideal. And because of that, now that dream is somewhat tarnished by this billionaire's, what do you call it? His temper tantrum. And it's tarnished. And because of that, you're like, ah, man, you know, like kind of a bummer that they went in that direction. I mean, it is a shame, but to me, at least my interpretation of it was, oh, he, he wasn't to be trusted in the first place. Like this wasn't a, it, all of the things he was saying sounded great, but that's just it. They were only designed to sound great. That was at least how I, how I reacted to it. It was less about like, oh, that's a shame that, you know, this dream can't be realized and more, uh, this guy never really meant what he was saying. Yeah, yeah. But I hear, but but I, I hear what you're saying, and it is, yeah. it is too bad because the dream you're right is nice, like for Sam. Like I, I wanted that for Sam at the same time as I felt conflicted about not wanting him to leave. He was so clearly excited by it, but I like the the little note that we get at the end of the season where he, he finds his own local dream. Like he's opening up a little Nigerian restaurant in the town. Yeah. And bring he's going to bring his culture to England rather than him leaving. Yeah, it's it's a really nice closure to that particular story in that instance of Sam wanting to find home where he is and realizing he can make his home. Yeah, and he can bring his culture there and expose people who, if he had left, folks would never have gotten the chance to get exposed to his culture and now he can be an ambassador. He can bring that to them. I think that I think that's its own kind of positive message. Mm-hmm direct juxtaposition to a positive message. We got to talk about Nate. We got to talk about Nate's heel turn. How did you feel about Nate's heel turn at the end of the season? He was getting progressively worse every single episode. And every time he made a snarky comment or, or made a shitty face, like I, I, I was like, oh, there it is, there it is. Why is he doing? What's going on with Nate? What is this guy's problem? Yeah. What is and and I kept thinking to myself, is it me? Did am I viewing this wrong? Like like. And then when other characters started to like turn and like look at him, you know, and respond to these actions, I was like, it's not just me. Okay, great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And when he abuses the other the the ball boy or the equipment yes. person, you know, his attitude just continues to get progressively worse. And I I have only seen the season one, so I'll have to rewatch. I don't remember if there was an inciting incident or moment or something that sort of, that's the thing. Okay. There wasn't. Thanks for, thanks for reporting. Nate was like picked on kind of when, when he was in that position, but then Ted came in and, and the dynamics made him a coach and made him a coach. Yeah. It's interesting to see that kind of uh, the Nate, the great thing go to his head clearly a little bit. And there are these little cracks in the in the facade and the veneer of Nate the nice guy. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, he has this 
confrontation with Ted at the other at the end of the season, kind of mirroring Rebecca's in season one, except it doesn't end well. Nate basically says that you you made me feel special, and then you made me feel like I was invisible. And that whiplash, that roller coaster, mm-hmm. basically broke Ted's spell uh, as far as Nate was concerned. And Nate mm-hmm. decided that Ted was actually not a good guy. Ted was actually full of shit and that he was going to make it his mission to be the anti-Ted. Yeah. And what's interesting is that even though Ted brought in Roy to coach, right, he still kept going to Nate and giving Nate the opportunity to test his ideas and strategies and giving Nate the opportunity to really prove himself, which Nate kind of does in in some ways. But that ego, when he calls the play and he makes the play and they win, that ego just suddenly flares up and it comes raring to him, right? Yeah. And now Nate is like, oh, well, I'm the smart one. Pay attention to me. And this is why, th- this is where I started to, to get lost a little bit because I'm like, what, what we're seeing, what the audience views on screen, objectively speaking, is not what Nate says is happening. And yeah. so for Nate to, to make these calls, like he is, he's making the wrong calls emotionally, you know, in, in, this, in this relationship. He's pushing away the people who are giving him the platform to succeed. And he's pushing away the people who are most going to care about him because they know where he came from. So, you know, Nate is, he's, he's struggling. He's really struggling. But when he says, uh, you made me feel like I was the most important person in the world. And then you abandoned me. I think to myself, like, you can't just, you can't just say no to that. You can't just be like, well, I didn't, you have to hear that. You have to understand, you know, what was it that Ted specifically did? Why does Nate feel like this? Why, you know, where is this unpacked from? And answer, I, 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 I'm trying to remember, but did Nate ever sit down with Sharon? Did we get that? You know, I have that in my notes. It's funny. We we, we had a lot of focus on whether Ted was going to talk to Dr. Fieldstone, but I don't think we ever see Nate talk to her. He clearly had stuff on his mind. Clearly. He needed to. Yeah. You did get these indications that maybe they were setting him up as as the season three villain. And then we get that confirmation at the end that, yes, it's in fact going to be, he's going to be the anti-Ted. He's going to be the sort of the adversary, at least for part of season three, but I still don't quite know how I feel about Nate's motives. Yeah. Yeah. His, uh, because of what you said, because I feel like it, it, it seems like even though we see it happening, getting a, a handle on what started that or what really is warping his perception of what's happening. You know, I, I don't feel like I have a good handle on that. Nate, Definitely strikes me as the type of person who is extremely protective of what he actually has ownership of. Back in season one, in the pilot episode, Nate actually snapped at Ted and Coach Beard uh, to get off the grass. Like, hey, you can't be on the field. What are you doing here? Get off, get off. And he like snapped at them. And that was before he knew who they were. That was before the story actually picked up. So I think Nate is representative of the types of people who, you know, you give them an inch and they want the mile, you know, and, and I don't know if that type of dynamic is something that that we need to have in the show and making him the villain and pushing him off to Rupert's team is certainly a strategy and certainly something that they're doing specifically to set up a, a, an adversarial relationship 
with Rupert's new team and however that goes. But I mean, does the show need that? Does the show need a villain? Does the show need to have this this feeling of villainy or we have to go against somebody? I think it's going to be a test of these two competing coaching ideologies. You know, that, that that's essentially what it's being. It's not it's not specifically like Ted versus Nate as much as it is this idea this philosophy of coaching versus this philosophy of coaching. Hmm. 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 Yeah. When at all costs, I think that's Nate's Nate's running philosophy. Right. You know, where, I, I hope that season three, we get a little bit more insight into his motivations and, and his background. Yes. Yes. Uh, do you, I mean, I personally don't really care to see Nate return hat in hand, like Jamie did, for example. I don't really want to see that. Like I, I do want consequences to this because it does feel as though some of these character relationships, there needs to be consequences, much like Nate kissing Keely and Roy is like, yeah, whatever. You made a mistake. Yeah. Understandably. So like Nate probably drove Nate more nuts than anything. Exactly. Exactly. Because he just saw Jamie. All Jamie did was talk to Keely in his mind. Nate actually did something. And he's like, you're forgiving me? And and he's like, what is with all these happy people? In the- None of them see me as an, as an entity. I'm a mm-hmm. non-entity to all of these people and I'm sick of it. Yeah. I mean, that. there you go. There you go. He, he's not being treated as an equal. He's still, you know, he's still being handled with kid gloves is his perception. So if if he can't prove himself to be who he is as an adult, as a human, then how will he ever be viewed as an equal with respect? And he could take the opportunity to talk to any of these people at any of these points Mm. about how he's feeling about the things that they're saying. And he doesn't until he snaps at the very end and then it's too Mm. late. It's too late. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, like I said, I hope there's, there's some consequence for Nate. If he, if he stays angry, I think, that's fine by me. If he's repentant, I think that's also fine by me, depending on how it's handled. But it can't just be like, all right, Nate, come on back. I can't. I'm not going to be able to stomach that. Agreed. Any other notes you wanted to, to hit on for season two of Ted Lasso? Yes. Simone Biles in the most recent Olympics, she she took some time off and said, you know, listen, I'm doing this for my mental health. And here we have Ted season two, which if I get the timelines properly, it was done before the Olympics, right? So to have this show, which is involved in athletics and sports, say, hey, we need to, you know, at the the very end, Ted sits down for the the press conference and the season ending press conference. And this is after the news broke that, you know, Nate betrayed him and said, oh yeah, he ran away from the match because he had a panic attack. So Ted sits down and says, I want to share with y'all the truth about my recent struggles with anxiety and my overall concern about the way we discuss and deal with mental health and athletics. And that was it. That was one of the rest. (laughs) Yeah. And you're like, yeah, you do want the rest, but that is the conversation starter. Yeah. Simone Miles is a conversation starter, you know, like, okay, yes, we do need to talk about this stuff because we do place way too much pressure on these athletes and these coaches and all these individuals who are involved. And for what? To play a game? At the end of the day, yes. And mental health in society is, is super important. You know, season one, 
it, it was very optimistic, very real, you know, and you felt great about it. Season two, you know, they very easily could have just leaned right into the underdog, right? Like we're the underdogs. We need to come back. We need to make this work, you know, and, and, and they could have leaned into the romantic subplots and the charm, but they didn't. They went for that mental health. They went for therapy. They went for being your best authentic self. Yeah. If nothing else, I think that that should be the big takeaway from season two is that it's okay to talk about what's going on inside your head. Exactly. All right. Anything else that you wanted to, to touch on before we That's wrap this it. up? That's it for me. All right. It was, uh, I feel like we covered it and it's such a, I'm just so much looking forward to season three, man. <laughs> yeah, me too. And I'm sure there's more things we could gush about, but really it's go watch the show. If you haven't, I go mean, watch the show. if you've listened to all of this and you haven't watched the show, I don't know what to tell you. Go watch the show anyway. All right. Is there anything else you want to plug before uh, we get out of here? Folks, if you want to uh, follow me on Twitter and tell me that you agree with me or that you disagree with me, you can chat with me at Mike Slamer, M-I-K-E-S-L-A-M-E-R. I tweet about all things sci-fi, rock and roll, AV stuff. So by all means, let's connect. Great. How about other uh, podcasts you're on? I know we already mentioned We Are Starfleet. Anything else you want to mention? At Starfleet Pod is the We Are Starfleet Twitter and Instagram account. We're going to be rearing back pretty quickly with the premiere of Star Trek Discovery on November 18. So be on the lookout for that. Also, Gotham University Podcast, also available on the We Made This Network, chatting all things Batman. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thanks so much, Mike. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. It was a pleasure again today. Anyone who wants to hear more of my voice, you can hear me also on We Are Starfleet with Mike, as well as a bunch of episodes of Real Talk, Podcast 616, as well as The Way, a Star Wars podcast launching later this year. Thanks for joining us for another episode. And remember, we are part of the We Made This Podcast Network. Please subscribe to scheduled programming and give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to help our network out financially, please consider supporting us on Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash we made this. Ted Lasso is not all we're discussing, so we'll give you a taste of what you might have missed on the network in just a moment. We'll be back soon to schedule more programming. So until then, do not adjust that set. Elsewhere on We Made This. The TARDIS crew. Although, if we're honest, the Doctor more than makes up for all the colour we miss in the story. <laughs> what are your thoughts on the sixth Doctor on TV? On TV, he doesn't fare as well as he does in other mediums like Big Finish, I'll be honest. He can be very abrasive and rude, and yet, I still really like what they were going for with this Doctor. They just didn't do it in a way which made other people truly fall in love with him. Indeed, they hated him. Pick a disc. It's a fascinating thing with, um, it's the difference between comedy and music, um, is that the bands generally, like, you can have a hit single that you're famous for and you can not want to play it, but you know that that's what people have come for. Um, whereas it's very rare that comedians get, like, a bit that you're, that you have to do, like, where you're like, if you went to see, um, 
uh, Michael McIntyre, for instance, um, who's you know got some of the big bits of sort of like the comedy that was on DVD when everyone was watching DVDs. Um, you know, the, like if he did the mandrel bit, you'd be like, oh cool, he did the mandrel bit. But if he didn't, you wouldn't be there going, oh I can't believe he didn't do that. You'd be like, no, he did a show. Uh, that's the he did all like he did an hour of stuff that we'd never heard before, and it was great. And I've probably seen this movie enough times that I don't really need the subtitles. So that's not as much of a concern. But that was always sort of, uh, you know, kind of in the back of my head when I, when, I w- when I would watch it with subtitles on is I just wish my eyes weren't drawn to this one section of the screen during these sequences where there's a lot else to look at. All that detail that you talked about earlier. Yeah. Well, see, the funny thing for me is I watch everything with subtitles. Everything I can. I love subtitles. Fair. So, like, even the English version, I'm watching it with subtitles. Dude, I do that so, too uh, these days you know. increasingly because, uh, yeah, I don't want to miss lines of dialogue. Check out all of these shows and more on the We Made This Podcast Network.